0: Hey, it's Shaston Rains, and welcome to Crosswalk Church. You're listening to Today's Presence, a podcast in which Pastor Tim
1: hosts conversations about culture, daily life, and what the scriptures have to say. We desire to bring you encouragement and hope during this time, so once you finish this podcast, make sure to visit CrosswalkVillage.com to find more information about our church and additional resources from our pastoral team. Hello, everyone. It's Sam of Tim and Sam. Welcome.
0: <laughs> we, we, just, we just had a great conversation with Brian Fowler. Um, and um, just really, that was so cool to, to hang out with him for a little bit and learn a little bit more about coffee and coffee culture and that sort of thing. And uh, we're here today, Sam. What are we? Do we need to do announcements? Do we need to talk about... We don't need to talk yeah. about coffee. I felt like we did enough... Last time,
1: yeah, no no more coffee. Uh, but right. but we're doing to say things because you know, when these episodes drop, we don't know when people are listening, so they need to hear what's do, coming up. And do they stuff. drop when these episodes um, drop?
0: That sounds way I cooler. Think, uh,
1: that's how they say it on the streets. <laughs> which which streets tracks this track's gonna drop? We're we'll gonna yo, I think that's how
0: Is that I don't.
1: Uh, Yeah. Anyway, so, so yeah. um, I think questions is always important that we say, please send questions um, for um, the podcast. Podcast um, at crosswalkvillage.com. Yeah. And uh, as always, um, watch Crosswalk live on
0: Sabbath mornings. Yep. And, and, and um, if no matter where you are, we'd love to have you join a connect group. I was in the pastor's Q&A last night or on an undisclosed evening, um, because we don't exist in space and time, and uh, uh, it was great. We had people from all around the country that had, were jumping in and asking questions, and it was great. I really appreciated it. So thanks everybody who came, and if you want to come, you can go to our website and go to the Connect Groups and do. It's good. Find find the one you want to be in. And what a listen! This, this last service was
1: terrific. The Thessalonians series is really great, and a great way to start in the at the end, speaking yeah. resurrection in heaven, um, it's a beautiful way to set the tone for the rest I of the, the figured
0: we, we get to the point. I'm excited, we're doing First uh, Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. Well, whenever you listen to this, we have done First Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, which is just some great passages and really expounds on Paul's take on all of this. So um, he, deals with, he, deals with, uh, he deals with judgment. Um, Mm -hmm. she's good, man. Judgment. That's a fun one to talk about. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. Super excited for all of all the content that's coming out of Crosswalk right now. Really good stuff. And thank you, Sam, for being a part of it. Uh,
1: I am a, an enthusiastic watcher and, um, participant. Yes. I participate. Awesome. Do you you like and share the service? I host, I host a party. Oh, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, watch party. It's really good. That's it's really fantastic. fun. Um, so, yeah, anyway, should
0: we get to the stuff for today? Yeah, let's talk about stuff that we're talking about. What are we talking about?
1: Yeah, so some weeks ago, we had a, an interesting conversation, you and I, about how different generations are handling this COVID 19 crisis. Mm-hmm. And the conversation was pretty fascinating. We never, and we thought we'd bring it to the podcast, right? So the conversation was, it began with, hey, how do you think different generations are dealing with the COVID crisis? But then it kind of evolved. And I think there's many places this conversation can go now. It evolved into uh, generational theory and why some generations handle things differently. I think, I think I'd like to talk with you this morning about spirituality and generations, uh, church and generations, the validity of generational theory, <laughs> et cetera. So let's hang out for a few hours and see what happens.
0: Wow. It's not a few I hours. We got a few, have minutes, few minutes. I don't have that much information. And again,
1: folks, dear listener, we are not experts. We are just friends who muse. Right. And we record right so please do not email us to uh which might be deeply uh, irresponsible on our...
0: yeah it might be deeply irresponsible <laughs> that we're just musing and people are like oh maybe they know stuff we don't know things i mean we know some things
1: some things but not very many things um so let's go so what about so what do you how are generations dealing with this crisis and, and how is it different um how is it different for a Gen Xer than it is for a boomer, you think, or for uh millennial, or for Gen Z. There's all kinds of names.
0: I know, wow. we got a lot of them. Busters, um,
1: mosaics. What are mosaics? I have no idea. I started throwing out terms that I've heard before
0: cashew nut, hazelnut. <laughs> the brooms, the broom generation. <laughs> um yeah, so so let, let's maybe go top to bottom. Right. Um, and these are gross generalizations and anecdotal all in nature. So they're basically worthless. But um, so what I've seen, what it seems like to me is that the boomers are one of two minds. One, one mind is I'm very vulnerable. I need to stay in my house. And the other one is, well, I'd rather live my life and and die from this thing and i really don't think that's going to happen um so i'm going to ignore it in particular ways you know some compliance but but some ignoring i think um and of course you know that's a long swath because we've got like 80 year olds to you know 90 year olds if you will to like 70s or or mid 60s i guess is kind of around mid early 60s i don't know Um, so there's this, I think there's this sense of like, eh, we've been through stuff before we'll be through stuff again. This is probably not as big a deal as it was unless, unless they're immunocompromised. And then I think you do see some of that. I think there's a lot of pain in grandparents, not being able to see their grandkids and and sheltering in place. Um, so, Hmm. so I think, I think there's a lot of kind of, there's two minds of it, if you will. And I think that's, um, again, this is all anecdotal. Um, but, but I don't think their generation is appreciating, appreciating it like maybe some of the other generations do because they're also remember they're, they're aliens is not the right word, but they're, you know, they're not really first generation technology, you know, trying to get, trying to get my older family members on a zoom call is sometimes a, um, an exercise in not futility, but certainly frustration, um, you know, it is so, a little frustrating, yes. Yeah, so they're not natives to this language, and I think that that causes some anxiety for them, certainly. And then somehow that, you know, that that just breeds isolation and it breeds, you know, I think some fear and that sort of thing. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Yeah. No. Well, I was gonna say yes to the digital natives. Um, how easy has it has been for some people to transition to this? Well, I think there's generations who already lived in this world, so for them, this was just a not even a transition. There right. was a uh, oh, so we do this 100 percent of the time now instead of part of the day. But for others, it has been nearly impossible to communicate. And so the isolation has been um way more profound and real than for for others. Our neighbors, for example. Our neighbors do not own a computer. They oh, wow. don't do not they don't know how to get on any of the Zoom, FaceTime, Skype. They don't they don't know any of that. So their contact with people has to be over the phone or uh, face to face. So no, yes, true. Um, Older non-digitally native people have suffered through this in different ways than we have. When I say we, I am claiming us
0: as digital natives, (laughs) although we are not, we're immigrants. No, we're not, we're immigrants. We're immigrants for sure, Gen X. You're, You're Gen X, right? I mean, because you're, uh, you're quite a bit older, so... Um. My dear... Are you, are you are you still in that? Are you kind of on the low end of the baby boomer? I can't remember.
1: dear dear listener, Tim loves to remind us all that I am older than he is. But if you could see us right now this morning, you would know that because I have lived my life under the constraints of... Uh, I know where this is going. Temperance. <laughs> I look at least 20 years younger. Oh. My skin tone and uh, <laughs> my general vitality is such that you would confuse me with a 25 year old. Whereas Tim, oh, as okay. um, I always time. say, the Bring word on. feeble
0: comes to mind. Feeble? Wow. Wow. That's amazing. I, I, listen. Listen. Look, okay, but but <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. I took my glasses off. I was laughing. I, know, this is,
1: I think we're gonna throw down. I think oh, that's what I thought. Listen, you were gonna man. Okay. No, but listen, oh no, you go, you go. And then I got something to say about it. something real to say. Go oh, ahead. then do you say what's real? Um okay, so this is where the labeling begins to break down for me. Because I, I've always been, I've always been a little suspicious of generational theory, partly because it's, it's the labels just don't fit on some right. people. Right. And I, I think I am one of those. When we say Gen X and I, and I go and I read all of the identifying marks of a Gen Xer, uh, I resonate with very few of them. Now, because I'm a people pleaser, I want to be
0: a Gen Xer. Really? So no, I'm one like, wants- Yeah. Gen Xers don't want yeah. to be Gen Xers.
1: <laughs> we askew wow. that label right from the beginning. What well, so, so that's there you go. You're you're such a Gen Xer that you reject the labels, which right. is a Gen
0: Xer thing to do. Right. Uh, so, right. so I would think you're a little bit more like the silent generation, suffering, thought, uh, suffering in silence for all that you've been through. <laughs> Except you complain a lot to me, so I don't know if that's necessarily <laughs> true. No, but do you think this has something to do with your with with not growing up in the United States? Oh, totally. Which is a, which is the thing is that if we are identifying
1: generations by the just the year block, like the thirty year block during which they were born and then came of age and they experienced the same things together, then then I don't fit in the traditional, when, when North Americans say Gen X, I don't, I don't fit into that. Uh, because it is so, when we think about generations, we gotta talk about uh, where you grew up, what kind of education you had, the place, the cultural influences that were present when you were coming of age. Uh, I think gender, class, um, all of that has to play a part. Um, so here's, here's, here's the difference between you and I. I, I came of age in Guatemala in the 1980s in with i mean in a conservative adventist missionary family home right you came of age in southern california right mm-hmm. yeah. in the home of a theologian in progressive socal advent i mean it's so how are we even I, I, friends? I, how can we even <laughs> How does that even work? That's amazing. so so this is not a science. That's the first thing I would right. say. this is just ways to talk about people that I think we need to not we need, we need to we need to be way more generous than right. than some social scientists are. And I also think, by the way, since I've got the microphone right now, apparently it's it's less about chronology um, and more about yeah. what people experience together.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we haven't even talked about church. Right. Generations within church, which is another huge layer that we can get to later or, or in a different
0: podcast. Anyway, so so, so back to you. Yes. So, what are you, Tim? Oh, I'm Gen X. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm in it. Like, I'm in it when... when you uh, define it. Dude, when those... when uh, What was that book? There was a... I think it was Generation X. Ready, the book. ready Player One. No, well, yeah, for sure, but um, that that book was. Oh, I was like, yeah, I know. But you know the one I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one that
1: defined the term.
0: Yeah, the one that defined the term. Man, when that book came out, I was like, that dude, he knows me. Like, I Douglas. Yeah, Douglas something. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. yeah, um no, for sure. that that book, I was like, oh yeah, I'm that kid. you know, I grew up on a skateboard going to arcades. I that was that was the way I did it. But I was you know, absolutely, and my parents probably wouldn't like this, but I was a latchkey kid, right? I got home, nobody was there. We We practiced social isolation because we didn't have a choice, man. We had to come in and grab the key. To our house from, you know, under the mat and then hung out with our friends until our parents got home at 630 or 7. My mom was running her business. My dad was a professor. And so um, I was in no way neglected. That's not a word I would use. We just learned that we were going to have to kind of be on our own. Not to mention the fact that we had a deep distrust of institutions, Right. And I think that's played out in our lives. And I would agree that that would, I mean, I would, I would say that that's probably played out in your life a little bit too. There's a little bit of a distrust for any kind of institution. And so, so we've always kind of created our own platforms. I think, you know, Mm. the one project is a good example of that. Like we didn't wait for anybody to put together a meeting that we could go speak at. We decided to put the whole thing together ourselves, always kind of doing a parallel expression. That's a little more authentic to us And what's interesting is the way that this has played out in kind of, um, sociologically in business, certainly in church as well, has been that, um, the boomers have stayed for so long that they have not relinquished their positions and given them to us in our late thirties, early forties, which is when normally you would move into managerial and directorship kind of positions. And so, you know, we're, we're mid to late fifties, some of us over 50. Um, and then, um, still not having those managerial positions so when they look at us they're like oh they're not managerial like material we should give that and so they're handing positions to 28 year olds and 32 year olds they're they're completely bypassing generation x which by the way complaining is you know kind of part and parcel of generation x feeling like <laughs> we've been passed over so <laughs> i'll just acknowledge that but mm-hmm. um but in the midst of that what has happened is is they've given these positions to people who still believe in the institutions because they don't have the experience enough to know that the institutions are not working the way that they said that they would. So these 32 year olds are getting them trying to do everything they can to make these institutions work. Well, we've been so jaded. We're like, we know they don't work. And I mean, listen, I was interviewed, I was interviewed for a position for a ministry that's very traditional, very, um, very, you know, very traditional, like, had I uh-huh. gotten the position, everybody would have gone. W- who- why did they choose him? So they asked me what <laughs> I would do, and my my explanation of what I would do was essentially, I will dismantle it. That's that's what I thought. And oddly, they didn't give me the job. I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> that's so odd. But <laughs> I know. But I I was just honest in the fact, like, oh, this doesn't work anymore. I would dismantle it and rebuild it like this. And you know, nobody was hmm. interested in that, which is fine. But um, you know. I think that Gen X has always been a deconstructionist at heart. And on our better days, we reconstruct out of the rubble. On our worst days, we just sort of walk away in this pile that we've destroyed. Um, but during Covid times, like we what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I think I think that what we've done is we we're used to the crisis because there's always been some sort of crisis happening in our adult lives, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's the economic crash, crash of the 90s and Reaganomics not necessarily working, whether it was 2008 when we were coming of age and buying our homes and or buying our second homes at that time, watching, you know, all of our equity fall apart and that. Like we've, you know, I, we're the generation that was raised by Bill Cosby and alive when we realized, <laughs> oh, he's a rapist. Like, mm-hmm. You know, Doctor Huxtable was doing horrific things. Like, think of think of what that does to your mm, psyche. Wow. When you think the world is a certain way, and then you realize it's absolutely not that way. And what I mm. like about what I like about Gen X is that we will approach something with that sort of like, eh, this is probably not going to work out. And I kind of like that because it means that we're not shook, if you will. By things falling apart because we're used to things falling apart. Our family systems have fallen apart, our institutions have fallen apart, and we never really believed in them anyway. So that's good in a really bad way. Does that make sense? Mm.
1: Yeah, no, yeah. So so you're not looking for when I say you, you know, I really want to belong, so I'm gonna say we.
0: Yeah, no, so we're we're in a,
1: <laughs> we've adopted you. So when this crisis hit, we didn't first turn to the usual institutions to help guide us through this. We knew they may or may not be able to help, but it doesn't matter. We're kind of on our own anyway. Yeah, right. We we weren't upset about how the government was handling it because we know the government's probably not going to handle this correctly. And um, and to keep blaming or asking the government to to do this correctly is not really the 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 best move right now for us for both our emotional, spiritual, and our just our health well-being, general well-being in general cannot be right. um and more relevantly for the work that we do, uh church is not th- this is are we ready for turning that corner or are we should wow. we spend more time are do we? It. Okay. So church is not going to save us that so right. so here in 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 and i don't mean look this isn't uh, we are i love church we love church right this is yeah. can we can we just make that as a foundational statement um for what comes next
0: what we're doing is we're deconstructing again which which can be seen as inappropriate or appropriate i think you've put you've probably put what 35 years into this church because you're so much older than i am um <laughs> So I don't think anyone can question whether or not you're committed to the church. Me, I've only put like 25 years in because I'm <laughs> again, much younger. Um, that's going to get old. That trope um, is getting old. I'll stop. But, um, but uh, listen, listen. in this conversation, deconstruction is part of the nature. So when, when the criticism comes for being deconstructive, I, like I want to be clear with everyone. That's what we're doing. But I think we've also proven over our ministries that we're very interested in the reconstruction of the institution as well. And so uh, well, well, let's just put that out as the the caveat and then begin.
1: We're, I, well, I would say we're less interested in the survival of an institution and more interested in the viability of a movement and uh, the effectiveness of, of a movement. So the institution is always going to be the, the vessel. The vessel can change right. uh, or the, well, I don't know if that metaphor works entirely, but um, what I think is the... The, the critique I hear constantly or often is that, at, at least in some of the circles I move in, is why, why is the church, why is the church, Inc., or organization not doing this? Why is it making these decisions I disagree with? Why is it organized this way? And my response has been, why, why do we believe that the empire of man is going to behave like the benevolent kingdom of God? Right. Um, but why do we keep expecting that? It's not. So, I, I think a Gen X move has always been participate in, and as long as this fulfills the the mission or vision that we're called to, but when it doesn't, uh, tear down, reconstruct, and start over. Right. Because um, which dis- is which is which is very is generally scandalous and frightening to people who have spent their entire lives constructing a. An organization or an institution and giving
0: their lives to it, um, and they've lost sight of mission altogether, right? Yeah. And I think this is why boomers have not let go. Also, because hmm. you know, there's an avanist health message that makes people live so much longer that they they still are viable <laughs> in their, you know, late 70s, they're still working. Um, and and praise God for that. But um, I, I think that's one of the reasons why they have been reticent to let go. I also think the boomer generation thought they were gonna change everything. Right. I mean, we had the 60s on a grander scale in North America. We've got the 60s, you know, with the flower child movement and and all that. And we're changing everything and we're going to fix everything. Well, they got to the end of their lives or end of their careers and they were like, oh, we didn't fix it. We got to stay a little longer to continue to fix it. And we don't really trust the generate. We don't trust our children, quite honestly. We don't trust our children to make the changes because they don't really get it, which is which is. Yep. Which is fascinating, and we could probably go into that in another time, the psychology of that. You know, our children who had great education, but probably probably can't serve it. But the truth is, as the children of it, we kept seeing it not work. They're speaking to an ideal that we never experienced in our lives. Yes. Oh, this is a life-giving institution, but it's sucking your life away from me. You're not here. Mm. You're not here. You're giving yourself to the institution, but you're not here in my life, so maybe the institution is not a thing. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, not all yeah. it's cracked up to be, and so I think what what ends up happening is um, you've got you've got a group of people who are deeply saddened that they didn't make the changes that they wanted to make. But it's and and our generation would see it as well. It's because you bought into the system. Yeah, you tried to fix the system by being part of the system, and we've always been like, well, I mean, I say that just for the record. I say that as a you know. A tithe pains, Sunday mm. Adventist pastor who sends his tithe, like we haven't broken the system by any means. We've tried to work within it as well. Um, but I don't think there's a lot of trust from generation from the boomer generation to generation X. I think there is an in with millennials.
1: Yes. Let's let's come back. Let's let's keep going on this. Even if we have to make this a second podcast, I think we're onto some, I think we're onto some things. <laughs> have you how many times have you been to a an Adventist educational facility that had its heyday in the 70s or early 80s. And so they built a, either an auditorium that could accommodate four times the number of people that are enrolled now. How many times have you been to a church that, that was built to accommodate an audience that's probably 10 times larger than what they have now? How many times? To, so there was this massive build-out. I, I think you're onto something here, that the boomers... Did this massive build out of the institution, and I th- maybe part of the reason. That this is just me. We're we're not psychologists, but we're analyzing here. Maybe part of the reason why they can't let go is because they saw the decline, and they and they don't they can't somehow reconcile that their life's work. They, they keep thinking of that of the heyday, the pinnacle that they lived through. And if I just stay longer, I can bring it back to that. I can right. I can somehow. Get the enrollment, attendance, the giving, the whatever—all of the KPIs that they've lived with all their lives—to um, to come back. Then I can hand it over to these people who don't really know what they're doing yet, <laughs> right? <laughs> to see if they can just manage it, and I can go safely to my grave and expect the coming of Jesus. Uh, uh, <laughs> but um, I so. But there's what? 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 What other reasons do you think are? Why will they not? Because you've named it. Why will they not give, hand over the reins of the steering wheel, or whatever metaphor you want to use? And I and I close my section of this comment by saying this: <laughs> Recently, you and I were involved in a face, in a phenomenal Facebook conversation when one of our colleagues, one of our friends, dear brothers. Posted just it was like a like a hey, uh, what if instead of the the funding during this COVID crisis, what if instead of keeping it pooled at the top? levels of organization we gave back to the local churches what was really fascinating is who was the most threatened by that comment mm-hmm. right it was the it was a, a boomer leader who interpreted that to mean um you no longer believe you gen xer no longer believe in the institution or you don't trust it right anymore and that kind of blew up into a massive conversation that went on and on and on and on. And we finally had to tell our colleague, you're probably gonna have to let it go.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, man, I... There's so so much. There's so much. There's so much here. There's so much. And and I don't don't want this to be us against them, like Gen X versus Boomer. I think what it is, it's an epistemological issue, right? Let's go to the heart of it. There's an epistemology that is different. I have to recognize, even me right now, that the way... My kids might believe in the same thing in such a different way that it's not the same thing anymore because they view the world that much differently. Mm. Right. So they may, they may believe in the same things I believe in, but they hold it so differently, it's become something different. I always think about a hammer, right? It's, it's the same thing in everyone's hand, but depending on which way you're turning the head, it becomes something that deconstructs or it becomes something that can construct. Um, that's, mm. that's a pretty fascinating model. So I think that, I think that epistemologically gen X feels very different about things and sees things very differently. Like truth is a different kind of truth. Even the same truth is viewed so differently. And, um, and I think that when you grew up in a world that was modernistic in nature, that said, truth is truth. There's one way of looking at it. It's the only way it's, I mean, it's the way we did evangelism. It's the way that we did preaching. It was, let me explain to you logically this argument and we have the best argument, So we win done and then the moment that works until the moment someone goes I don't care and they're like yes no but I'm right and like I don't think so and you're like like logically no I am right I've shown you the steps I've gone through all the texts like clearly I'm right and all someone has to say is I don't believe that even if Mm -hmm. you think you're right I don't think you're right and that whole house of cards falls down right at least at least perceivably it falls down Um, Gen X has grown up in the midst of a modern, you know, we were taught from a modern worldview, but we lived in a postmodern worldview. So we, we straddle the line of understanding both of those things and not understanding either one of those things. You know, my kids, Mm. my kids have a very different take on what truth is, I think. And I'm exposing myself here because people may say, oh, you know, then you didn't teach them correctly. Well, maybe not. But, um, but but they think, you know, they, they're they okay with their friends believing something completely different than they do and not even recognizing it and being like, yeah, that's fine. Why, why is that any worse or better than what I believe? Right? They yeah. think about that so differently. We grew up in a world that kind of straddled both those lines. So we struggle with concepts like absolute truth and and that plays into institutional thinking, just for the record. We're right. So we must prop up the institution because the institution is what makes the thing right. We have to, we have to think about that. And and because we didn't buy into it, we've always been skeptical of whether or not that's true. And then as time has progressed and and worldviews have become more pronounced, if you will, or at least more well defined, we realize, oh, we probably recognize ourselves as like postmodern or metamodern a little bit more than yeah. than just a modernistic take on the world and on a modernistic epistemology. And so um you know, and our, our parents are like, no, there was one. There was this modernistic worldview. It it reigned supreme for a hundred years. When it fell apart, it fell apart quickly. Postmodernity lasted 30, 40 years, 50 years, maybe, and then it moved into the next thing. So, like, even even the shifting epistemology is changing so quickly that um that it's probably feels like a rudderless ship for some who thought they had a really deep rudder or a really strong anchor. For those of us who have always kind of been you know, what's the word I'm looking for, undulating, um, or vacillating between two worldviews. It's like, Oh, this is it. So when a crisis hits like COVID, just to bring it back to today, when a crisis hits, you go, Oh, that's part of it. I guess we got to roll with this punch too. Like we got to figure out what this means and what the new reality is. And okay, we'll work through that and we'll, we'll figure out that's not to say Gen X is really good at suffering through anything. Like we're actually like, we're going to complain a lot about it. I think that's fair to say. But, um, but yeah, when it comes to church, man, when it comes to church, I guess the question I would ask you is, is holding the, the organization in question, unfaithful to the organism, which is the body of Christ. Hmm. Hmm. You see,
1: you always, uh, organization, organism that. Did you just come up with that?
0: No, that's a, that quote, that a that's a quote from Will Alexander. Man, that dude was amazing. He always said um, he always said, "Listen, the church as an organization is a mess, but as an organism, it's a beautiful thing."
1: Yeah, yeah. He,
0: he said that when he was ninety-two, so there was a lot of wisdom behind that statement. Yeah, but that's that becomes well, the question. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, no, I look. I think that.
1: You're throwing out qu- lots of threats we can follow here, and just to just to dwell a little longer on what I think rattles some people is the the absence of an authoritative, absolute truth mm-hmm. that they can turn to that can help them navigate some of the problems of that they face every day day to day. so when when we say at some point, we're going to have to go back and, probably begin to do basic definitions of some terms you're throwing out like we all should know like we all have th- a theological seminary education epistemology and modernism postmodernism meta metamodernism but well maybe that's a good show notes thing yeah but, um but um what so, so what's so what's left then how do you make decisions how do you navigate one implication by the way is that I think is that We no longer live in a world where, as you said, evangelism functioned this way. Let me establish the source of truth. It's right here. It's the books, the Bible, final authority. And now I can just, once this is established, then we just guide you through prophecy, everything else that comes through it. But when you're dealing with generations who no longer hold that as the final authority or absolute truth, um, Or generations that can Google 50 different interpretations of what you're telling them is the truth or an approach to truth. Or people who will listen to, I'm going to name it, will listen to 20 different pastors over the course of a week. Um, And not understand the difference all the time. Well, that is... That is... as an entire different topic, we probably should tackle differently on a different date. But yes, exactly. Um, and I sometimes find it interesting that um, that some folks don't, they don't really, just because it sounds like it's true and it comes from an authoritative sounding voice, I'm going to tell you the 10 steps, the, the, um, that it must be true. Right. Or because it comes with the label of the organization, it right. must be uh true so anyway how Tim, how do you navigate in this new world how do how does a for example a young person a gen whatever they are now gen alpha
0: i don't know are gen we back Z? are we back to a i don't know
1: i have no idea um how then
0: shall they live how then should we live shall shall we let you win all king james version on me um listen The misnomer is that there's no such thing as absolute truth, right? I mean, I remember in my doctoral program reading a book called The Death of Truth, and it was written by this evangelical who who was bemoaning the fact that people just didn't believe in absolute truth. Well, I think there's an easy answer to that. I mean, when people ask me, do I believe in absolute truth? My answer is absolutely. His name is Jesus, but truth is a person, not a proclamation about that person. Right. So hopefully, what this has done is moved us closer to the source, closer to the understanding that it is Jesus Christ who saves, not what we say about Jesus Christ that saves us. Which, uh, which interestingly Mm -hmm. is what our, what any institution is built on is the, you know, the primary language that they're using. Um, God transcends language. And we talked about this when we talked about theodicy, God transcends our language. So the language we have is the best language we have at the time, but we'll change that as we either create a better understanding or as language changes. So the, the, the misnomer is that if you change the language, you've changed the idea of truth. I don't believe that to be true because if truth is a relationship, First of all, it's way more nuanced than we ever thought it was. You're always going to have a hard time getting your hands around truth. Because, first of all, it's not as small as you thought. And second of all, it's not as static as you thought. Truth, truth is mm-hmm. going to be con- a continuing moving target, which is what is true about relationships as well. You've been married for over 25 years now, Correct. 26. Thank you. 26. Look at you. That's awesome. I know she yeah. puts up with a lot. Um, but wow, I'm just saying, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but you know that, that, tr- that the truth of love and the truth about your wife is a constantly changing target. Right. And there's, there's, you know, her character has never changed. She is still in love with you 26 years later. I know she is because I, I know you guys, she loves um, me. She does love you. Mm-hmm. inexplicably but she does um (laughs) you know as as does my wife love me i believe um at least that's what she says but but the truth the truth of the matter is you know love in a relationship is a much is a vastly different thing than what i write about love in a book um you know, and, and mm-hmm. so so is there a loss of truth? Man, there's a loss of the source of truth. What we thought it was may not be what we thought it was. But that truth that we wrote down about God, did we fall in love with those words? And we talked a little bit about that in, in, in previous podcasts. Do we fall in love with the words? or Do we fall in love with God? Because my love affair with God transcends words. I'm going to use as many as I can and the best ones I can find. But at the end of the day, it transcends love. I mean, it transcends yes. words. And, and it and it moves into the place of, you know, safety and comfort and, and abundance and all these beautiful things that I have a hard time explaining because it is just the relationship I have with God. So do I believe in absolute truth? Again, the answer is absolutely. But it's not defined nearly as well as perhaps we thought it was previously. Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: it does make sense. And, you know, maybe at some point we should probably invite a um a smart person a, <laughs> a um a theologian/philosopher to help us think through maybe some of the reasons why language fails us when we try to use it to define truth um well it helped it's helpful but it also has limitations and that's right. the problem is that is that it, because language is limited we're, truth is always incoming and the truth of God is always incoming because we have different ways to express it and explain it. Um, I think about the fact that you can never write enough songs about love. You know, we, you think after after millennia of humans putting pen to paper about love, we should have exhausted right. uh, that genre. <laughs> but we don't, and we can't because we're constantly trying to put to words and language this this transcendent. And beyond words kind of uh experience that humans uh are go through. Um, and um if God is infinite, um and we are finite, we're creatures, he's a creator, and we're constant. So if the, how how could we ever in any way come up with any system or words or anything that that encapsulates who, who God is in any way? So so um yeah, i i think we i think we've i think we've touched on a nerve here that goes goes beyond generational theory.
0: Right. Yeah. No, we we moved into epistemology, which, by the way, is a study of truth. Just yeah. thank you, Tim,
1: for helping us understand that. I think. Well, I think we should pause here. Yeah. Come back to this in a different podcast because next the next time, just to give maybe people a little taste of what I Ooh. I think I suggest we talk about is how generational theory has affected. Um, how we do church, um, how different generations approach everything that's happening in church, like music, the theology, some of the battles that mm-hmm. you can you can actually identify generations in church by which which battle scars they have—the grace wars, the music wars, the jewelry wars, the ordination wars. Like you can you know, and and this is how they they shape and color and that's the flavor of church for them how what they bring to it so next time huh
0: yeah why don't we talk about that good that'll be a lot of fun hey this is uh tim and sam sam and tim this is today's presence thank you guys for joining us it's always a pleasure we have a we have a good time doing these we hope you have a good time listening to these always make sure you email us if you got any questions or any thoughts or comments and uh thanks for being with us we'll see you all nailed that closing next time i'm working on it thank you I appreciate your affirmation, sir. <laughs> All right, we're out.